Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Buck Sanders and Jason Staples. And gentlemen, not the podcast we thought we'd be recording on Sunday following Carolina's season opener, but it is what it is. Buck, I'm going to go to you first. Your general thought on what you saw yesterday, what it means going forward, and what the Heels need to get done this week going into a big one on Saturday. Well, let's start off with I'm not sure I enjoy thinking about Saturday at all. I've resisted the urge to rewatch the game because I'm not sure I want to rewatch it. It was kind of that bad. But I think there are some things that we know going forward that need to happen for North Carolina if they're going to, at this point, we can say, make a bowl this year. I think that's where expectations have landed after the California game. And one of the things that they're going to have to do, how they're going to do it, I'm not sure. They're going to have to make a decision, I think, about quarterback. And the reason I think so is that with all the other offensive issues that the team has, they don't need to be figuring out the quarterback situation on the fly. If if they had, say, Ryan Switzer, Bug Howard, Mac Hollins, all those guys on this year's teams, Elijah Hood, TJ Logan, they might could play around with the quarterback situation a little bit and see who fits best and, and all of that. But with all the other moving pieces on the offense, I don't think they also need a clunky platoon situation at quarterback. It, I think the only way they're really going to get better this year is they're going to have to pick their guy and that guy is going to need to build a rapport with his wide receivers. He's going to need to uh, understand the, the strengths and weaknesses of his offensive line, the strengths and weaknesses of his uh, running backs and his wide receivers, get a, accustomed to reading defenses in this uh, conference. And I, I think you need to stabilize that quarterback piece with more urgency because there are so many unknowns uh, about the UNC offense in general. So I think that's maybe job number one this week looking ahead is where are they in terms of is, is a quarterback position settled or not? If it's not, how are you going to approach it? How are they going to deal with that issue moving forward? I think is the, primary thing they're going to have to resolve this week. Jason, do you agree that that's the number one thing? And and I'll say this, we talk a lot about when we've covered basketball, and I hate to make these cross references, but usually by the time a player is a senior, he is what he is. A couple guys come into mind that change that idea, and that's Bryce Johnson and Kennedy Meeks on the basketball court. They were what they were. As a freshman, sophomore, and junior, their senior years, they were completely different. And I bring that up because of the Brandon Harris situation. His knock was exactly what we saw on Saturday. 
at least from my mostly untrained eye. So, Jason, your opinion on that, your opinion on what Buck said, I think we can agree that Chaz Surratt's ultimately the guy. The question is, what goes on this week preparing for Louisville? It's going to be a tough game regardless of who the quarterback is. How does Carolina, how does Fedora and his staff manage that situation? And is that the biggest issue Carolina has going into next week? Well, first of all, I don't think it's the biggest issue going into next week. I'm going to disagree with with Buck on this. I think the biggest issue going into next week is uh, that they're facing Lamar Lamar Jackson with a defense that has had that had some uh, had a tendency to you know, play well two plays in a row and then give up a big play uh, here and there uh, in this game. And if you're going to have a lapse here and there against Lamar Jackson, he's probably going to make you pay. Uh, so I think that's, that's, that's what I saw as the biggest thing, especially coming into this week. But I do agree that, you know, there is that old truism that if you have two quarterbacks, you got none. And we, we talked about that in the preseason. And watching what we saw... I thought that that Surratt looked like the the better quarterback for most of the day, yet uh, most of the day yesterday, and most of the uh, there are a couple reasons for that. One is that when he came in, it wasn't just how he played. It seemed like the offense had a little bit extra spark. I don't know if 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 I was the only one that noticed that, but it seemed that the that he brought a, a little bit of a spark to the offense that wasn't there otherwise. And yes, I think he is a little bit more limited in being able to throw downfield still compared to Brandon Harris, but he brought enough to the table and has, as a redshirt freshman, a lot more room to grow than a guy who's a graduate transfer senior. So if, if, it, if it comes down to it, I'm rolling the dice with that. And I do think that decision probably winds up getting made sooner than later. But I think, you know, given the, 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 the makeup of this team and what realistically was you know needed to be expected uh coming into this into this year the bigger issues are on the on the defensive side rather than on the offensive side in terms of making sure that some of those things are are completely sealed up otherwise there's going to be issues because the offense is going to have to take some time with all these new players to to find their feet but let's talk about the defense in a minute but i jason to your point about when chas surratt was out there and i don't have a participation chart and I don't chart the games but I felt like Michael Carter really got most of his work when Chaz Surratt was out there whatever the case is whoever the quarterback buck I think Michael Carter is definitely the bright spot of this game for North Carolina the kid looked very good at times but again it's just like the opener that we have seen over and over and over and I think that's what's most disappointing for Carolina fans is this record's been played the first game of the season for a while now under Larry Fedora especially, but Carter got, what, 11 carries, 90-some yards. Feed the beast. Buck, your take on his performance. Well, certainly, I agree with you that, you know, Michael Carter is a next-level kind of runner. He's uh, – I'm not going to call him the reincarnation of Gio Bernard just yet, but he's got a lot of similar – skill set, similar it factor, all that going for it. I think that Greg Barnes may have charted it uh, for an article that he wrote on InsideCarolina.com 
that North Carolina threw the ball 40 out of 67 plays, maybe down the stretch. They were throwing the ball a lot in the second half. Some of that had to do with being behind. Some of that may have had to do with other factors. But they definitely threw the ball much more often in the second half than they did in the first half. And if you'll notice in the last drive with Chas Surratt, he had Jordan Brown uh, as his running back. and. Jordan Brown in that last uh, touchdown drive had three or four catches in that drive. He, he was somebody else that impressed me a bit in terms of his ability to catch the ball out of the uh, backfield and do something with it. But if you've got a guy that is a true freshman and you put him in the backfield and you're going to throw the ball and you know you're going to have to throw the ball to catch up or uh, because you need to throw the ball for whatever reason. It's an underrated aspect of the running back position is those guys need to be able to pick up blitzes and pick up rushers that are coming through the line. And that's usually, and Jason will probably correct me, but that's usually the last thing that a running back will learn how to do well is uh, pick up the blocking uh, aspect of his game. And Michael Carter, only been in, in the program since January. He's gone through spring and fall practice. He was injured a good bit in fall practice, so his reps there were limited a little bit. But Jordan Brown hasn't been injured, and he's been in the program now for some time. He's a uh, uh, now a sophomore, so he, he's been through it. He played some last year. He's had a lot more exposure to the responsibilities of a running back in the pass protection scheme. So that may be why, instead of seeing Michael Carter down the stretch in with Chas Rett, because for most of the game they were a tandem, instead they put in Jordan Brown, just because they may have felt he was a little bit better in pass protection and they needed to throw the ball. I don't know. Uh, I would have liked to have seen Carter get more touches in the second half. Uh, 11 is not very many. I think, you know, you look at Gio Bernard's first year uh, under Larry Fedora in 2012, uh, his only year under Larry Fedora, he got 18 touches a game. And, but he, he was clearly the, their best option that year, and he was an exceptional player. So certainly they didn't mind feeding the beast that year and giving him 18 touches a game. I think Michael Carter might get to that level in terms of number of carries, but it might be tied to and related to his ability to learn pass protection as a running back. Uh, which is particularly important when you don't have the full complement of offensive line you'd like to have. So that may have had something to do with it. He's an exciting young player. I agree with you wholeheartedly. Uh, he's a guy that we're going to see more and more of and will become a fan favorite. But I, I think I, I'm not sure of this. I'm just guessing. But I think his uh, limited touches in the second half might have been related to pass protection as opposed to just their reluctance to hand him the ball. Jason, you agree with that. And also, I, I thought they both looked fairly well. Carter, like Buck said, is just different. Is pass pro 
It's got to be one or two, maybe two on the things you're looking for in the running back, right? Yeah, and 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 that is the the number one thing that's going to get a younger guy fewer reps and fewer carries, at least especially initially in a, in a, in a, in a year early in a career, is you have to make sure that that guy is 100% reliable in the passing game. Now, on the flip side, you know you have to wonder about when Surratt's in there. You they they did run more. Uh, run the quarterback more, run a little bit more, you know, run heavy tight packages anyway, at which point you you start saying, well, you know, you might get uh, Carter in there a little bit more in those uh, because maybe you need a little bit less reliability in the, in the, uh, in the past pro area. So, you know, that, that could also affect things down the line as well. Let's talk about offensive line and, you know, it's been an issue of course, but Jason, how do you think they played? Um, and then, Buck, I want your comments on that. And then how can they get better from week one to week two? Injuries happen. There were some guys get dinged up on Saturday. So give them uh, – give us your, you know, thoughts on what they look like. I thought they did well at times. Other times it was a train wreck. But a week until they faced Louisville's front, Jason. I thought the offensive line was actually pretty decent in this game. Cal – brought a lot of, of uh, 50, 50 looks. So you got five men on the line of scrimmage covering up uh, offensive linemen, trying to keep their linebackers clean uh, and, and tried to apply more pressure than not. And, and, you know, that's, that's basically what Wilcox has done at prior stops. So that's not that surprising. I mean, we talked about how, how Cal would, would come from different angles and try to really load up the box and show uh, or force Carolina's quarterbacks to show that they could throw it. But, you know, given what they saw, I thought the offensive line was pretty good. I mean, they, uh, looking at the stats here, you know, Carolina averaged 4.9 yards per rush on 45 attempts, right? You, you, rush, for, you, you rush for 219 rushing yards for 4.9 a clip. You know, even if, even if you know, some of that's on a, on a couple big plays uh, by the backs, at some point, you're not doing that without the offensive line playing pretty good ball and I thought they they protected the quarterbacks pretty well I mean the quarterbacks were not under duress most of the game so quite frankly I mean the offensive line may have been the strongest part of the uh of the Carolina offense against Cal I mean I I don't think there's a whole lot to complain with especially given what they went through in the in the in the uh in the preseason but that may have been the best unit on offense to be honest Buck your take on that that's that's strong words but given that Carolina's had issues around the field, um, not that surprising that Jason thinks that, and you know he may well be absolutely right. Your take? Well, I I, I would uh, quibble a bit uh, by saying uh, I thought the running backs were the uh, the most surprising to me part of the offense. The the way Carter ran, Jordan Brown had nine catches. I think he may have had one drop. He had a very high percentage of receptions, you know, compared to targets. I thought he looked good running the ball at times. So I thought the tandem of Carter and Brown at running back was the strongest part of the offense to me on Saturday. The offensive line, though, Jason makes a great point that if you consider the issues that they went through during fall camp, the lack of continuity, the lack of 
starters missing time, uh, guys dropping out, dropping out and coming back, uh, the, the whole nine yards, everything that we've talked about in terms of the offensive line, I think I was prepared to see a much bigger train wreck on Saturday, and we didn't really see that. Even though Bentley Spain, who had not practiced very much, came back, but very early in the game, he injured a hand. And whether or not or when or not he'll be back is an open question. I, I, just would be a good question to ask Jason whether or not an offensive line can wear any kind of, I don't know, brace protection. or a club. Or, or, yeah, something on his hand and play the game. Now, you know, that might be problematic. I, I don't, I can't think off the top of my head. Having seen it before, I think I've seen defensive linemen do it, but I'm not sure I've seen an offensive lineman do it. It would certainly cut their ability to hold in half. So that's a problem. But yeah, I thought the offensive line, even though after a, a game like this, every aspect of every part of the team comes under the scrutiny. Um, you know, the, the secondary is no good. The linebackers are crap. The defensive line can't get any pressure. The quarterbacks are horrible. I mean, on and on down the line, wide receivers, it, the play calling, the whole nine yards comes in for incredible scrutiny after a loss like this. When you're favored by 11 points and you lose by five, you, you're laying yourself open to some criticism. They had they gave up two sacks, and I don't know, and Jason will tell you this as well, I'm pretty sure, sometimes sacks are on the quarterback, not the offensive line. Um, as far as the run stats go, I'm with Jason there. Of course, you know, that 47-yard run by Carter helped pad those stats a little bit, but that's what happens. You know, and if you rush for over 200 yards, Odds are they're not all going to be, not all of those carries are going to be five yards at a time. So, um, yeah, I would agree with, with Jason that the offensive line, especially the travails they had during fall camp, acquitted itself fairly well uh, on Saturday. A lot there, a lot more we could talk about on the offense. Wide receiver, guys not playing. We thought we'd see. We'll, we'll certainly look into that later in the week on these podcasts. But let's flip to the defense. And, Jason, this is the one that you said was the bigger issue. And what I saw is a lot of what I've seen over the course of a few years. Uh, your take on – yeah, I think the defensive line was – okay i think coverage especially in the middle of the field has killed carolina for years there wasn't much difference there and then there was some play at cornerback that was surprising as well and then just some you know bonehead mistakes by some guys but that happens your take on overall and then we can dig down maybe into the position groups yeah i mean i thought a couple of a few of my initial notes afterwards were one I, I was disappointed by the overall lack of pressure from the defensive ends in this game given the returnees given uh, some guys who should be a little bit more explosive on the edge I thought they might be able to create a little bit more pressure against uh against that Cal group but um you know we'll we'll see if the Cal offensive tackles are are really good but 
Uh, I thought overall they the the the, uh, the Carolina defensive ends didn't create quite as much havoc as uh, as as you'd like. Uh, and then you know the the game or the of course the defensive line made probably the biggest game changing play of the game uh, in a negative fashion with Jalen Dalton deciding to uh, wantonly commit a uh, a personal foul targeting penalty that led that led to a massive change at the end of the, at the end of the first half that really changed the game uh, going from a uh, three and out deep in their own territory to scoring on the next play as a result uh, that, that, that changed the changed the whole complexion of that game. So the defensive line, you know, they, there were some positives. I thought the defensive tackles played reasonably well, you know, they were, they held up well against the run. Uh, I thought they, they stopped the run better than, they, than I can remember, remember a Carolina defense stop on the run for a while, but again, Cal wasn't trying to do a whole lot of that. So, you know, that's kind of an incomplete there, but I was a little disappointed in that regard. Uh, I do agree that, that some of the weaknesses showed up, continued to show up in terms of, of teams being able to get guys manned up against linebackers. I thought Andre Smith showed good improvement in his, uh, in his pass drops and his ability to pattern match and, and uh, some of the stuff that he did. Obviously the interception was a big deal there, but you know, the pass coverage, they're, they were generally solid, and then all of a sudden there'd be a big play. And it just seems like uh, when they put, say, the seven, the, your back seven out there, teams are right now going to be able to find one or two matchups that they like because you got five guys out on the field generally that you feel pretty comfortable with in coverage, but you might not feel quite as comfortable with the other two. And, and I think team, teams that scheme well to get somebody on – one of those other two, depending on who's on the field, it could be uh, a couple different guys. Then you may have to help out on 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 that to uh, to prevent giving up some plays there. And then there's you know some of the again some of the uh, missed assignments and so on that that led to you know again that wild touchdown toward the end of the third quarter that you know that that just never should happen. But uh, you know again, it's just right now with with the defense, it would be easier in a lot of ways if it was just one thing. But there's just a little thing here and a few little things here and then, you know, a little bit of personnel here that that is keeping that defense from being uh, what I think North Carolina fans certainly hope it would be. The play, I guess you're mentioning when Renee came off the wheel route and gave up the big play and then the tackling on that was <sighs> unbelievable. I mean, you had three guys there that can just push the kid out of bounds and none of them did it. I remember earlier in the game – Chaz Surratt was rolling out, very similar situation, and the California DB stayed at home, and Surratt got a few yards, but ended up having to run out of bounds after maybe 10-yard gain, rather than having a big, what would have been a touchdown. But your take, I mean, the issues that Carolina has, they've been issues for a while, now teams have film from California, and they seem to be the same issues. So looking ahead into this week and then beyond, uh, how is that? How do you correct that? How do you mask those issues if there's no correction there to be made, Buck? I mean, what does this staff have to do preparing for Louisville? Well, I would uh, I would take exception to the characterization of the issues that the defense had as the same issues. Uh, the last two years, 2015-2016, teams have absolutely gashed uh, <laughs> yep. North Carolina in the run. 
I, I don't have the exact number in front of me. One of you guys can look it up if you want, but North Carolina must have gave up over 200 yards a game on the ground last year and way more than three yards per carry is which I gave up on um, Saturday. You know, if you think about it, you know, you can say that Cal didn't try to do a lot on the ground, but at the same time, when they did try to do something on the ground, they could only manage three yards a carry and 106 total yards. Freaking anybody, uh, Delaware, uh, you, you name the team, uh, could you know put up 170, 180, 200 yards on North Carolina without batting an eye the last two years. Conversely, North Carolina has done extremely well uh, in terms of pass defense. Now, some of that has to do with the fact that teams would just have preferred run, to run the ball. I mean, if the, you know, the low-hanging fruit is there, why climb to the top of the tree to get it? And last year, teams ran the ball against North Carolina more downs than they did against any other team in the FBS. Uh, so the the big bugaboo on this defense last two years has been their lack of ability to stop anybody. I don't care who it is on the ground. I, I don't remember them holding a single team, uh, no matter who it was to 106 yards last two seasons. And really going back to probably the Butch Davis era. So the flip side of that is teams have not, racked up a lot of yards against North Carolina through the air. Part of that is they haven't tried, but I think last year, uh, North Carolina led the ACC in total receiving yards by the opposing team. And against California, they gave up 363. That is very different than what we're used to seeing. Now, they don't have Des Lawrence this year. They're they're really not missing anybody else except for maybe Dom Green. And I'm going to tell you, even based on Saturday's play, Miles Dorn is a huge upgrade over huh. Dom Green. Oh yeah, all day long. Oh um, yeah, he looked like an NFL. So, he looked like an NFL player out there. Yeah, future so, NFL but, player. I should be. I should so be clear. They've on upgraded that. big time over Dom Green, and and Miles plays that free safety position, which has a lot of pass responsibility. He blew a play, by the way. He was in on a blown uh, coverage with uh, Corey Bell on, I think, maybe their first touchdown, Cal's first touchdown. Uh, Miles wasn't there when he needed to be. Uh, but he's a huge upgrade over Dom Green. And for them to give up 363 yards in a game to a first-time starter at quarterback with a suspect offensive line to me is a sea change of a difference. It's not the same issues. You know, uh, Tommy, you said that we see these same issues. No, we're not seeing the same issues over and over again. This is a completely different issue. <laughs> um, so. Well, it's uh, not, I mean, the, the issue in a lot of ways now, boils you, down to not having best If you look at it in there. terms of, yeah, we see the same issue as in the defense is not very good. I'm with you. <laughs> no, but I mean the running but, game. But, okay, but, if, but if but if they're, it's the difference in between 
where the problem lies that I take issue with. And in, in this case, I don't know. Now, you know, they, they gave up, uh, what, 120 yards on two plays of those 363 and, uh, you know, several other long plays. So, you know, maybe this is something that's fixable. Maybe North Carolina is not going to go the rest of the year, giving up 363 yards a game. And as Jason noted last, uh, last week, you know, California did, does have some talent at wide receiver. I, I don't, I think for people to say that, oh, you know, they're just not very talented, you know, at, at wide receiver, they, they have some talent at wide receiver, but you know, I, I don't know exactly how to fix this problem. Larry, Larry Fedora in his post-game conference got as close to the defensive side of the ball as I've ever seen him get. Uh, when he talked about uh, the inability to get to uh, get a pass rush with just four players and maybe uh, you know, Coach Papuchas may have to rethink that, that's probably the longest conversation he's ever had about the defensive side of the ball. So it's something that's on their minds and something they've got to get fixed this week. Is it just a matter of making sure they don't give up those catastrophic plays and they'll still be good in run defense? Or do if they shade things a little bit towards more of a umbrella coverage in the back and, and allow things to loosen up up front, are we back to 2015 and 2016? I think that remains to be seen, but it, it'll be interesting, you know, and, and the Louisville game, I'm not sure is the best ju- game to judge that because you, you're going up against a different set of circumstances there. But as the season plays out, it'll be interesting to see if this pattern continues where North Carolina is good against the run, not so good against the pass, which would be a complete switch from the last two years. Uh before I get to you, Jason, I feel compelled to state my case. I, the same issues <laughs> I'm, I'm showing. You can't clean I'm, that up, Tommy. It's not the I same can clean issues. portions of it up. I'll give okay, you the run okay, defense. Right, go for it. We shall find out as the season goes. I think I'm on record saying we won't know how good this team, good or bad this team is until the Duke game. So I don't think Louisville is going to show that. I don't think Old Dominion is going to show that. But my issue is the same crossing routes are open all the time on Carolina underneath. I, you know, I, I, I'd, I'd argue with that a little bit, too. Uh, Buck, there was a, 99, we're, we're, a, a defensive tackle out there that had ran a diagonal crossing route against Carolina. That wasn't a crossing route, actually. It was, he came out of the back, whatever. He came out of the backfield. What that was was a, uh, a play-action <laughs> flat route. That's a short yardage situation where they're loading up and the last guy you expect to leak out of the backfield there is a, uh, is a defensive tackle. So if there's one that's excusable, it's that. And by the way, I should mention, I should mention from earlier uh, in our uh, discussion, from what I can tell, I mean, I went back and looked at it. Renee was actually on a corner blitz when he was coming after the quarterback there and lost the wheel route. Now, I think once the running back releases him there, he's got to he's got to recognize something something's changing and and maybe he needs to uh, to uh, make the adjustment. But I think I mean based on what he did at the snap, I think he was actually on a corner blitz and somebody else also should have been out there for 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 the uh, for the back. Okay, well, that- and, and and Tommy and Tommy, let me back up and say what? Well, seriously, I mean, think about it. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. I've been wrong before. But- As I've heard. Uh, but, but what I saw, 
was, you know, compare it to like a dozen other games last year. And you would see running backs and tight ends with a drag route, you know, five yards behind the line of scrimmage, catching the pass time and time and time again and burning North Carolina. Yeah, I'm with you there. That That's uh, poor coverage by the linebackers. That's not what I saw on Saturday. They were killing North Carolina on the outside. The The only defensive back that really could, as Larry Fedora has recently started calling it, plastering, you know, receivers was MJ Stewart. And he did, gr- um, he did a great job of that. That's for sure. But yeah, they took advantage of some of the other guys, particularly in the slot. Yeah. So, you know, I, I don't see it as the same issue. You think about the Miami game last year, what they did with the tight end and the, the running back, you know, just with those simple, you know, crossing routes underneath against linebackers. It was just criminal, even though they didn't score very well with them, but they moved the ball pretty well with them. And, and North Carolina faced that time and time again last year. Where California hurt, North Carolina was on the outside. Uh, not, not, not those, not so much those underneath crossing routes. Now, Jason could probably go back and, and do a you know, film study of it, breaking it down and prove me totally wrong. But just my impression, watching the, watching the game, it was different in terms of where teams attack North Carolina. It was more so to the outside than it was over the middle and crossing routes. Uh, I'm, we're going to get this one wrapped up. I saw them pick on two guys repeatedly, and that has been the case multiple well, you years. Know, you, you, you don't want to mention the name, but Cole Holcomb got abused on one play, but more than that, did he get abused Abused on more than one play? Do you think? Up, he, he I, I think they missed catches. a few throws. Yeah, he, he gave up a few catches, and they missed a couple others on him. And then, you know, there's – there were, there were a couple of defensive backs that it appeared based on what I saw from the box that whenever they were on the field, Cal went out of their way to, to go after those guys rather than throwing at MJ Stewart or, or a couple of the others. So, yeah. you know, yeah, I, I, I do think that that's the situation is that there were a couple guys that Carolina is going to have to either do a better job of hiding, you know, schematically, or there's going to, there's going to have to be some level of improvement there or what we're going to see against Louisville is exactly the same kind of thing because Jackson will certainly take advantage of those those little mismatches that are on the field right now. And, and that's the problem is, you know, with defense, you know, with offense, you can hide a weakness a lot of times. You can have 10 guys that you feel really confident on and one maybe, maybe isn't as strong. And depending on where that weakness is, you can, you, you can hide it because you can spread guys out and, and you know, spread teams out and, and try to find a matchup. On defense, if you've got one or two guys you got to hide, it can get really tricky. It can get difficult because you know one guy makes one guy's out of place on defense, and it can be a touchdown. So, so that's that, that's that's a problem. But the good thing is, if you're in the ACC this year, especially in the ACC Coastal, if you want to have a defensive weakness, you'd rather it have you'd rather have it be against the pass than against the run because of all the quarterbacks that, that, uh, that the conference lost last year and the makeup of some of the teams in, in, in the league this year, where I think a lot of the passing games are taking a step back. It's just unfortunate for Carolina that the next one is probably not one of them, 
but you know, if you're going to, if you're going to be stronger, you want to be stronger on the, uh, in terms of stopping the run. And I do think that the defense did look better in that regard. A lot of work to do for Carolina, a lot of work for Larry Fedora and his staff to get things figured out. Louisville comes to Chapel Hill. Uh, should be interesting. I watched Louisville against Purdue. I felt like they were trying to get some kinks out and look pretty much disinterested for most of that ball game. Jason Buck, we'll talk a ton on these podcasts. It's always fun. Buck, I'd love to be wrong a few times. It'll make things more interesting. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I, I will give you credit, though. Uh, you, you did make the call that uh, North Carolina would have two interceptions on Saturday, uh, and you were right. So, for Not once in your life, you were right. Uh, <laughs> well, they, you, uh, can, you can uh, take that take that to the bank. Well, what's Andre it, Smith it? dropped the pick six early. Almost had that one later, and of course, the fastest guy on the field happened to be the receiver he was trying to run away from. But <laughs> some positives, some negatives. Carolina, it's Carolina football, guys. Thanks for joining me. It's been fun. Enjoyed it, Tommy. Enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.